Oh, Crossing Nation. On behalf of Jennifer and I, our family, the Crossing staff, Merry Christmas. We are so glad that we get to be here. I know you guys are trying to find kids at all of our different locations. Some of you guys are going to be like, you know what? The kids we got in our row, we're keeping. Okay, we get it. I want to welcome you joining from all of our different locations. Those of you watching online, we are so thankful for the opportunity to share this moment with you. Maybe you've noticed this already, but Christmas has a tendency to magnify things. Have you noticed that? Uh, if you haven't, maybe, maybe you'll see my a point of view in just a second. Uh, if things are going great for you, Christmas magnifies it, right? Like if you're just killing it on, on every front, you're like, Christmas is awesome. And I want you to know, we see you. We see you in your matching PJs. Everyone's smiling on your Christmas card. And just so you know, we threw it in the trash. I'm just telling you. I mean, wherever you got it printed from, we're happy for you. But we're not putting you on the fridge. We're not that close. If you're in love, Christmas magnifies it. Have you ever seen a dating couple around Christmas? We're going to be together forever. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, those of you who are engaged, pro tip fellas, make up a family tradition for you and your future wife to have, and here's the tradition you want. When I was growing up, sweetie, we hung a mistletoe in every room of the house, okay? You will trust, you will thank me later. Uh, if you made really good money this year, Christmas magnified it, right? Now you guys aren't going, oh, that's us, I get it. I wanna know, who is the target audience for the Christmas vehicles with bows on them? Like, who are those people? Oh, yeah, kids. You're all getting Lexuses. Like, I, I've never seen a car with a bow on it. I guess they don't put those on Honda Civics. Uh, if, okay, uh, okay. Uh, if you're antisocial, Christmas magnifies it. You sat down with your husband, and you said, all right, I'm looking at the month of December. I have to go to work. I have to go to the grocery store. We have a kid's play. We have Christmas Eve services. Your family Christmas and my family Christmas. Pick one. <laughs> right? You're like, I am not leaving this house. Um, if you are a procrastinator, Christmas magnifies it. Right now, some of you are praying to Jeff Bezos and the God of UPS. Right? My gift for Jennifer just left China. <laughs> it's uh, coming in, all right? Santa's going to pick it up mid-flight. If you're a control freak, don't, husbands, don't nudge, especially if you're new to the crossing, okay? Just be cool during this part. If you're a control freak, Christmas magnifies it. You decided because you wanted to be a Pinterest mom to let the kids help decorate the tree, and halfway through the decorating the tree, you realize that your kids are idiots, so you let them go to bed and then you undecorated the tree, put all of their stuff facing the wall and all of your stuff facing where people would sit if you weren't antisocial and you let people come over to your house. I get you. Uh, if you're struggling financially, Christmas magnifies it. 
why did we have so many kids and friends? This year, we're, we're cutting some people out, right? You're going, I, we, we got to stop doing this. Um, if you got a bad diagnosis, Christmas magnifies it. You're asking a question you never thought you'd ask. Is this my last Christmas? If you're alone, Christmas magnifies it. Christmas magnifies everything. There is not a part of your life that isn't magnified during the Christmas season. And I don't know if there is a messier season of life than Christmas. And if Christmas magnifies things, that means that the Christmas mess gets magnified. I mean, think about all the messes at Christmas. You've got relational messes. You've got to buy gifts for people you don't like anymore. You've got kitchen messes with flour and icing everywhere. You've got tree messes. How many of you have a flocked tree? And I said that very carefully. A flocked tree. Yeah, your house is trash. That thing just sheds all the time. Your your wife's like, why do you have so much glitter on you? Like, I honestly was just putting stuff next to the tree, sweetie. I promise. The garland sheds, and it's like there's every, and if you get a real tree, how many of you are real tree people? Psychos? Constantly just vacuuming up dead tree. I don't get it. You don't keep a plant any other time of the year. But when it comes Christmas, we want the smell of something dying in our house. All right, good for you. Uh, How about this mess? The post-Christmas day mess. And how come there's only one trash day the week after Christmas? Like here's a side hustle for you. You'll work one week out of the year, and it is Christmas trash special. Because they know that we've been dropping off Amazon boxes for weeks. There is, and we already fill up the trash can that they give us every week before we get all the Amazon boxes. Where are we supposed to put it? So then you're driving around late at night trying to find people's dumpsters. I get it. I'm not saying we do it. I'm saying I know people who've done it. Those of you who live in the country, like, I don't understand. We keep burning everything. I'm like, come on, America. All right? If, if your life or your Christmas is a little messy right now, I have good news for you. The first Christmas was messy too. It was a far cry from the Christmas card, Hallmark, Hobby Lobby nativity that we've seen on Christmas cards and in your yards and inflatables and on fireplace mantles. In 2014, an artist by the name of Everett Patterson, who's incredibly gifted, made a personalized greeting card to send to his friends and his family. And when you see it, it immediately evokes a ton of emotion and intrigue. It forces you to go on an immediate hunt for all of the hidden messages inside of the picture. It pauses you. It slows you down to make you think, what would the first Christmas have looked like if it happened this year? I'm going to have him put the picture on the screen. 
And I'm going to give you a moment. See how many of the references you can find. Now, to those of you who are sitting in the back at many of our different locations, I apologize. There's no way to blow the thing up any bigger. But you can go home and you can find it. It is called Jose E. Maria. And you can look at it a little bit more for yourself. This is my favorite Christmas picture. I have had it since 2015. And I have already spent the hard work and energy to find as many of the Easter eggs as I think can possibly be found. How many have you found? He's clever in how he does it. Let's start with the easy one that most of you probably got. Dave's City Motel. Today in the town of David, Bethlehem, a savior has been born. On the hotel or motel, more appropriately, it says no vacancy. There was no room in the inn. Mary is not sitting on a donkey. She's sitting on a coin-operated horse. Some of the fellows already noticed star beer. You're like, I didn't even know they made that anymore. But yeah, there's the star. How about Wiseman Smokes? The Good News banner. Then there's the White Dove, for those of you who are Bible nerds. He calls him Jose instead of Joseph. He's there turning through the yellow pages looking for a place to stay. For those of you who don't understand yellow pages, you were driven by somebody here who does. There's Gloria on the telephone stand. This is where it gets to maybe a little bit more controversial. Mary is wearing a Nazareth high school hoodie. It captures the scandal of the circumstances. There's the makeshift halos around Mary and Joseph. And Mary's is carefully crafted. Instead of saying save money, it almost hints at Ave Maria, for those of you who have a Catholic heritage. On the end, instead of a new manager, like most motels, the words are not, or the letters are not all there, and it says manger. If you look around Joseph's hip, you'll see a political sign, which just so you know, next year, we're going to be electing a president, so buckle up. But there's a political sign promoting Herod. This one might be a bit of a stretch. Down in the lower left-hand corner, you're going to see a, a beer bottle that looks like it says Gabe Ale, Gabriel, the angel was the one who told Mary that she was going to be with child. Perhaps some of you with really, really good eyesight, you were able to make out the tag at the base of the horse, word on one side, flesh on the other. It points to John chapter one, verse 14. Many of you probably know this. John 1, 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In the ancient text, it's basically he built or he put his tent next to our tents. He brought the U-Haul into your neighborhood. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son, that's Jesus, who came from the father, that's God, full of grace and truth. There's this tender shoot coming up out of the concrete pointing to the fact that even in the darkest of night and a gloomy evening, there is the hope of life. It points all the way back to Isaiah 53, verse 2. He grew up before him like a tender shoot 
and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. The writing on the side of the payphone. Remember when you used to go places and they'd have somebody's number on the side and usually not some really good stuff around that phone number? It, on the picture, it says Zeke, and then it makes it look like a phone number, 34, 15, 16. That's supposed to cue you in to look at Ezekiel chapter 34, and this is what it says. I myself will tend my sheep and, and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. On the newspaper laying on the ground, there's an advertisement. There's an advertisement for glad, and there's an advertisement for tide. Glad tidings we bring. And then right above that, there's an advertisement for a brand of watches. Shepherd watches. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified, which is relatable. Because if an angel appeared to you tonight, some of you, most of you, would have to change your drawers. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds hold a special place in my heart, and I think they should hold a special place in your heart too. You wanna know why? I think the shepherds are the most relatable people in the story. Uh, how many of you uh, have been pregnant while you were still a virgin? So that rules Mary out. How many of you have been engaged to a woman 
who was a virgin. That rules most of us out. How many of you are a donkey? That rules most of us out. How many of you have been known as being a wise man? That rules most of you out. Some of you have been known as a wise donkey, but that is not in the story. So I think that kind of just leaves us with the shepherds. It seems a whole lot easier to put ourselves in their shoes than any of the others. And it's interesting that when the angels came to announce the birth of King Jesus, they didn't announce it to kings, to elected officials, to those who were socially connected. No, he chose shepherds who were social outcasts, who occupied the lowest rung of the social structure. Good people, good Jewish people, when they saw a a shepherd, would walk on the other side of the street so that way they didn't have to bump into him and get pit-pocketed. However, God sends the heavenly hosts to these unpolished, unremarkable, uneducated shepherds to declare the greatest news in the history of the world. And what is this great news? I already told you. Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Messiah? That means promised one. The one the entire Old Testament has been pointing to. The anointed one, specifically put together for this task. What task, you might ask? To save people. There might be some of you. In one of the rooms where you're watching this service. And you're thinking to yourself, I don't fit in here. You're looking around at all the couples holding hands, kids wearing matching outfits, people smiling, people who look like their lives are all neat and tidy and put together. And you're going, I don't think I fit in. A person with my story, a person with my life experiences probably isn't going to make a great Christian. Probably not going to make a great follower of Jesus. However, and my staff will back me up on this, one of the privileges of being around this church is we actually know these people. And if you knew what we know about the people that you're sitting next to, you wouldn't sit so close to them. If I were to pass the microphone around any of the rooms, in any of the rows, you would be amazed at the people who call this church home. You would be amazed at the people who call themselves Christians. Some of the people sitting next to you have had affairs, multiple marriages. Some of the people sitting next to you There is not a single thing that they haven't watched on the internet. There's not a substance that they haven't smoked, snorted, swallowed, or injected. Some of them were kicked out of school. Some of them have been arrested. Others have served time. And that's just the testimony of the people we employ. I haven't even got to the people That's just who works here. 
The reason you can sit by them is because there's a Savior. And this Savior changes people. And they allowed Jesus into their life. And he changed them. And just like the shepherds, God gives people like you and like me a new purpose to seek after Jesus and to tell other people about him. And God, all throughout scripture, has chosen the unlikely to do the extraordinary, to carry the beautiful message that a savior is here. Someone who doesn't just save us from our sins, uh, handle our failures, deal with our mistakes, but a Messiah who is not afraid of your mess. Who's this message for? Who is this savior come for? Well, for all people, for everyone, for all time. That means this savior is for you. If you have a past, a savior has been born. If you have an addiction, a savior has been born. If you have parenting problems, marriage problems, financial problems, a savior has been born. If you're sad, there's a savior. If you're alone, there's a savior. If you're hurt, there's a savior. If you're in sin, there's a savior. If you're depressed, there's a savior. If you're worried, there's a savior. If you're suicidal, a savior is here. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've gone through, the good news is for all people, no matter where you're at, no matter what you've done, a savior has come into the world to move into your neighborhood, your mess, and this savior came to save. Jesus put on our sin so that you and I could be made holy he gives us this message, and guess who he gives it to? Messy shepherds to remind you and me that no one is too far from God's reach. No one is too low for God's love, and no sin is too great for God's grace. No matter how big and wide and deep your mess, it is not greater than this Messiah who has been born to you and to me. And I hope you'll ask yourself this question. What am I supposed to do with this Savior? We're moving to a time of decision. The angel's final word in the story was peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. I don't care who you are. You could use some peace. I don't care how good your year was. You could use some peace. And maybe the greatest peace you need is a spiritual peace. Answering the biggest questions of life. Why do I exist? Why am I here? What is my purpose? What happens after I die? If you don't have questions to those, or if you don't have answers to those questions, how could you possibly have peace? 
The good news is, I know where to find it. Listen, if you could buy it, you would already have peace. But this peace isn't for sale. If you could earn it, you would already have two. And it'd be collecting dust somewhere. But you can't earn it. The only way to get God's peace in your life is to have the favor of God rest on you. The peace comes because of God's favor. And some of you are going, okay, I'm interested. So how do I get God's favor to rest on me? Oh, if you want to know, we get together like 52 times every year to talk about how to get God's favor in your life. And we make it clear every single week that God's favor rests on you when you begin an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And hear me, this is not just the message of Christmas, this is the offer of Christmas, that Jesus came down to purchase something on your behalf that you cannot buy, that you cannot earn, that you have been disqualified from. But he purchased it for you on your behalf, and he holds it out to you and says, do you want it? Do you want my favor? Do you want my peace? And if you haven't started an intimate, personal relationship with Jesus Christ, it is the greatest gift that God could give. And those of us who have it have been transformed by it. And those of us who have it, and if you don't have to believe me, you can ask them on, out in the lobby or when you're driving home. But I'll just tell you, those of us who have it would tell you this, it's the greatest gift that you could ever give your family. It's the knowledge of where you will be when you die. And they're not asking us, so where's mom or where's dad or where's grandma or where's grandpa? They'll know that you surrendered your life to Jesus and said, you give me the peace, you give me the favor, and I'll give you me as busted up and broken as it is. And hear, hear me, it gets better. When you come into an intimate personal relationship with Jesus Christ, he gives you his Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes into your life and he guides you, he directs you, he shapes you, and he empowers you. How many of you are excellent decision makers? Don't raise your hand. We see you. We see you dress. We see you drive. We see you parent. You suck at making decisions. You're like, oh, I didn't know that that church was like this. It will be for the rest of the night. <laughs> I'll change it by Sunday. But when, how many of you could use a better decision maker? A better guide? How many of you are going, I don't have the energy to get through what I'm going through? Well, what, how many of you could use the Holy Spirit to empower you to do the thing that you didn't think you could do? He gives you that. Hear me. You want to give your family a gift this Christmas? You know what your wife needs? You know what your husband needs? 
You know what your kid needs? A spirit-filled father. A spirit-filled mother. A spirit-filled child. A spirit-filled husband. A spirit-filled wife. Somebody who's been transformed by the grace of God that was sent to us in Jesus. And if you don't have that relationship, in just a moment, people around you are going to do something a little silly. They're going to start praying. They're going to maybe come up to the steps and get down on their knees. They're going to start worshiping. But you can do something different. You can turn to one of them, or you can come up here by the baptistry, right over there. I'm actually pointing to it. And me and somebody else will be there, and we would love to talk to you about how to start the relationship with Jesus Christ that changes and transforms everything. And to those of you who already have a relationship, God doesn't just give you a new life. He has given us his new spirit, but he's given us a purpose to fulfill. And our purpose is the same as the shepherds, to seek after Jesus and to tell everybody about it. And would you join me in that sacred mission? Would you stand? Heavenly Father, bring about a change in every single one of us. There's not a single person listening to my voice who doesn't need to be more like you. And God, there's people in here right now that are asking questions. I mean, God's got to be good for some people, but there's no way that he's good for me. And God, I pray that you would just quiet the lies of the enemy. Give them the courage to take the next step that they need to take to begin the relationship that changes it all. And God, for those of us who've been following you for a while, rekindle in us a fire, a passion to point people to you so they can be changed too. In your name I pray, amen.